This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And this is Eric Lopez here. Jeff is off this week. Uh, coming up on the show, we'll get your set for UCF and Navy. The Mikey Keene era started it up. Plus, uh, later on the show, we'll be joined by UCF cross-country assistant coach Brian Jackson as UCF will begin their first home meet for cross-country this year, ranked 13th in the region. Bryson Turner will join me to talk about that as well as women's soccer, a critical week for them and women's volleyball as well and much more. Of course, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and of course blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest in UCF. Joining me here is Drew Glukoff as usual. Drew, it's football week. Back to game, back to playing games. Uh, undefeated against Bye, but Bye never loses. Uh, this is this is a critical. This is a critical weekend. All right, let's get into that. Uh, Navy and is UCF up at Navy. Navy winless this season. They have struggled immensely, but obviously a lot of intrigue in this game just because of the situation at quarterback. Obviously, those that already know Dylan Gabriel out indefinitely. This will be Mikey Keene's first start. Uh, what is the big narrative here that you're looking forward to seeing once the ball is kicked off on Saturday? Well, for my first question is, will Isaiah Bowser be on the field? Still up in the air. Uh, they've kind of hinted it's a, a week-to-week thing, so it's hard to say whether he'll be on the field or not. Uh, that's going to really change the, the view of this offense in the eyes of the defense. We saw the the Louisville Cardinals did not respect the run once Isaiah Bowser left the field. And it, it took until later when, when the, uh, the offense was able to kind of take advantage of that. So if he's on the field, obviously you're going to see a much more run heavy offense because he's going to be able to carry a lot of the load. If he's off the field, UCF still going to have a lot of running, but they're going to have to put a little more weight on, on Mikey Keene as far as being able to move that ball downfield. You've seen Mikey King up close. Uh, what kind of game plan do you think UCF will have for Mikey? Do you think it'll be normal? Like if Dylan was the quarterback, do you think they'll scale back? What what kind of game plan do you expect to see from UCF's offense with uh, Mikey King under center? Well, I, it's going to be scaled back. Um, that that goes without saying. Yeah, it's not going to be quite as complex of an offense, but it's still going to have the intricacies. That, that Gus Melzahn likes to have in his offense's movement, um, little misdirection. But I don't think it's going to be nearly as complicated. You know, Mikey Keene, true freshman, uh, still still learning the game. I mean, I watched him during the spring game. We watched him in limited action against Bethune-Cookman. And, and there's potential there. There's a lot of potential there. But it's going to take time to, to cultivate that. It's definitely going to take time. Uh they're going to face a Navy team that has struggled. It's just kind of been surprising to see this downfall of Navy football, really the last now two seasons uh, under Coach Niamatolo. What have you seen from Navy that's been issues for them this season that they've struggled? They're coming off a decent performance against Houston where they led early in the game. They got off to a good start, but they lost to Houston. Their offense is averaging, I believe, only 10 points per game. This is not the Navy football that we're used to seeing here. Oh, not at all. Uh, Navy rec- is reliant on, you know, being a triple option, it's reliant on having a really good running quarterback. And, and they've struggled with that. They can't seem to find the guy. 
they they've used uh, Xavier Arline. They're using Masai Maynard, uh, and, and no one's really kind of settled in uh, as far as being the guy. And as a result, uh, the offense has been stagnant. I mean, their their rushing is under 200 yards a game, which for a team that basically does nothing but rushing is is absolutely atrocious. Now, UCF strength is in their rushing defense giving up under 79 yards a game uh, this could be a very long day for the navy offense as long as ucf remembers they can still throw the ball and i remember a couple years ago ucf playing navy gave up a couple of really long passing touchdowns because they completely sold on run and forgot to respect the possible pass Xavier Arline, you mentioned, led them with 64 yards in a touchdown in the Houston game. They led 17 to 7 at the half in Houston. Houston outscored them 21 to 3 in the second half to win 28-20. So perhaps they're starting to find some answers at Navy. They're usually a tough place to play. We always remember the 2017 game, the Bam Moore hit, and everything like that. I think tackling for UCF, I know you've been sort of critical of the defense and tackling at times, that's going to be put to the test here uh, because Navy hasn't been able to, you know, usually when they're successful offensively with that system is they gash you for seven, eight, ten yards uh, a carry because either that first guy in assignment either misses a tackle or he's out of position. I think positioning and tackling will be the key for UCF defense this, uh, this game, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, it's as I've always said, it's never a good sign when a defensive back is your leading tackler. And Quadric Buller has been the leading tackler for all three games. Uh, currently has 25 tackles on the year. Bryson Armstrong is second at 18. And then it goes down from there. But, you, you know, you, you always have to be a little concerned when, when a defensive back is, is your main guy. That being said, number two through number six – are all linebackers or defensive linemen. Uh, so they're going to be very busy in that front seven, making things happen. Uh, I, I was a little disappointed, well, a little disappointed to be an understatement. I was disappointed in a lot of the missed tackles in, in against Louisville. You know, you have Lee Cunningham, a really shifty guy as a runner and was able to, to allow defensive players to over pursue and then take themselves out of position and thus miss the tackle. I, I think over these next, these the last week into this week, going into this weekend, you should probably spend a lot of time working on these fundamentals. And there's no guy that's that shifty for Navy. So it's going to be a little more conventional. And, you know, you're able to square up a little bit better, get, you know, get your helmet into the numbers and, and be able to wrap on the tackle. But I mean, the big thing is you got to get those arms around and you got to hold on. Navy's only averaging three and a half yards a carry. That yeah, is terrible. It's unbelievable. I personally think here, Drew, that this could be it for Ken Niamatolo. There's been a lot of drama there. You know, they fired their offensive coordinator. Well, I wasn't. It was the athletic director that fired the offensive coordinator. Ken went to the AD, convinced him to bring him back in a different position on the staff. It's so bizarre, so un-Navy-like. I just wonder if we're seeing the end here of Navy football with Ken in the Ken Namiatolo era here. I, I just, to me, 
it just seems like a divorce is headed this way from both sides here. When when you have a situation like they've had where the offensive coordinator is fired by the AD and the coach disagrees with that, and they, you know, that's not a good look. No, not a good look at all. And, and you know, the the unfortunate problem with with any of the service academies is they don't recruit like other schools. Uh, you kind of have to work with what you got, and, and that's why there's so many running based offenses you know, over the years is because it's easier to find an athlete who can run the ball than a gunslinger. And right now the, the, the cupboard's just a, a little bit, you know, empty compared to it's been in, in prior years. I mean, last year wasn't great either, you know, uh, but I, you know, you don't have a Malcolm Perry or a Keenan Reynolds or, 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 you know, a star there, there's, there's no, there's no guy who stands out and carries this team. And with this team running the triple option, there there's no focal point, and as a result, you don't get good good numbers. And you know, I don't I don't blame this on the coaching staff. That you've got to work with what you got. And, and I would hate for for this to become uh, leading up to a divorce. I, I think uh, there it's a natural fit. Um, I mean, you think of one, you think of the other. Uh, it was like Calhoun at at Air Force. You think of one, you think of the other, and it was just it's just a natural fit. I'd hate to see that go away. We'll see how that all plays itself out, uh, and see if what they could turn it around. Uh, their running game. You mentioned Bowser. Obviously, that's one of your questions. Does he play? Does he not play? Let's say if Bowser is not available, what do you expect to see then from the backfield? Do you see a, a platoon? Do you see some guy a guy taking the reins? What what do you see from the backfield if? If and again, we're as we record this on Wednesday, uh, we do not know Bowser's status. We're not going to know the coaching staff. Gus talks on Monday, and that's it. Um, now he does do a coach's show on Thursday, so maybe we'll get updates. I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Uh, so what what do you expect from the backfield there? Well, it's definitely going to be committee. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, Trillian Coles has been the the great story of the year, coming back from that Achilles injury that kept him out last year. Uh, has done absolutely phenomenal, you know, hasn't had any breakout runs like Johnny Richardson has had, but I mean, he's been consistently just, just chugging away Uh, very undersized guy, but hits a lot harder than his size looks. And and I'll tell you, you know, the, the funniest moment after the Bethune Cookman game, he's the, the unnamed guy who walks up to be interviewed and no one knows who he is. I mean, it was, it was, it was actually a little depressing in, in the fact that we didn't realize that he was coming up there. So we didn't recognize him. Uh, eventually we figured it out, but I mean, it was just an awkward moment, uh, but you know, being out of the limelight, you know, not being able to play at all last year, uh, not being uh, majorly in the rotation in 2019 uh, as a result, we never really got to know him, but I, I think this is a great story of coming back from, from a brutal injury. I mean, uh, I, I would take an ACL tear over a ruptured Achilles any day of the week. Uh, and, and Coles has come back. He, he's second in the team uh, with, with uh, average yards per carry of, of people over 15 carries. Uh, Johnny Richardson being the highest, but he's also had a number of breakout runs where he outruns his own legs and falls over. Uh, I, I think Coles, Richardson, and then and Mark Anthony Richards are probably going to be your main three. And I wouldn't be too surprised if Joey Gatewood gets on the field a little bit more 
as you know as the running quarterback and you see kind of not two quarterbacks set you know not not like um like a dual you know double you know double headed monster thing but i think he's going to come in and spell every every so often and, and and run a little bit i'd love to see him throw the ball and and catch defenses completely off guard but i i could see gatewood in there as well i agree i'm glad you brought up gatewood i do think we'll see him uh have a role in this offense uh and that you know think about that he was given a waiver and be become eligible which is kind of now looms pretty important I think from a UCF standpoint on that. 3.30 is the kickoff. The game is on CBS Sports Network. Our old friends, remember CBS Sports Network there, folks? We used to be on there often. Yeah, Uh, longest commercial breaks ever. (laughs) Well, it's not, hasn't changed. Uh, Randy Cross (laughs) will be part of that broadcast, Super Bowl champion. uh, They do the Navy games over there. They they carry every Navy game. Depending on where you look at, the spread's anywhere around 15 points. UCF's favored. What do you, any opinion on that? I think it's a fair spread. I mean, Navy's really shown nothing to to justify uh, otherwise, as well as the fact that UCF's rushing defense is really good. Uh, even though Malik Cunningham had a great game, I mean, they still averaged less than 75 yards giving up a game. And, uh, you know, that defensive line is is tough. Big Cat Bryant, Kalia Davis, I mean, they, they are really disruptive and, and cause a lot of problems. It should be interesting, and I think staying healthy is going to be a key when you're facing that Navy offense from a physical standpoint. It takes its toll, so you're hoping that you could play well, get off to a good start, take a big lead, get some of your guys out of there, and get ready for the following week when you uh, take on East Carolina, which, by the way, was announced as a 6 o'clock ESPN Plus game uh, next Saturday, a home game against East Carolina. A few other tidbits uh, I want to get your thoughts, Drew, before we let you go. Cincinnati's at Notre Dame. That's a big game. This is a big game this week for Cincinnati. Uh, and it does, I think, impact UCF from this regard. If Cincinnati were to upset Notre Dame at Notre Dame, they would be undefeated, probably ranked, what do you think, top five, top six in the polls after that win. And it's important because this Monday, we'll probably find out where that UCF-Cincinnati kickoff time is, time slot. I think if Cincinnati were to upset UCF, or to upset Notre Dame, I should say, then Cincinnati-UCF may get a very attractive time slot on that Saturday the 16th. Could be in the mix for a primetime game. Could be in the mix for possibly game day. If game Because game day, I don't believe, has ever been to Cincinnati. All of that could be in play if Cincinnati beats Notre Dame. Do you think they will beat Notre Dame? Well, I have to correct you on a couple of things. One, Cincinnati's the favorite team here. They're also the higher ranked team. So that wouldn't be. Uh, well, 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 wait a minute. Are they really at Notre Dame? At Notre Dame, they have a, they're a two and a half point favorite against wow. Notre Dame, which as, as I always tell people, add three points to that as a home team thing. So really they're expecting Cincinnati by five and a half points, but they're giving a field goal to Notre Dame as, as a home field thing. But no, Cincinnati is, is also ranked seventh against number nine, Notre Dame. Notre Dame has played down to competition during the year. They've also played up, you know, curb stop in Wisconsin, but there's a little asterisk there. They only scored 20 points on offense. Uh, the rest of that was scored elsewhere. So the offense still a little bit of work. And this Cincinnati team may be one of the top defenses in the country. I mean, they are absolutely dominant on defense. They have uh, multiple players who are probably going to be drafted within the first two days on defense, if not 
multiple guys on day one they're talking about potentially a couple first rounders uh this is a really good squad i mean number i think number seven is is unjustified i think they should be a little bit higher for that defense and, and the way the the offense is is coming together they struggled uh again early season but as we've seen this year this has been a weird college football year uh, logic has not quite worked out Teams are losing games that they shouldn't be. Teams are struggling games they shouldn't be. Uh, it's not twenty set. It's not two thousand seven weird, but it, it, it's it's trying. And you know, hold my beer. Uh, I, I I think uh, Cincinnati has a legit shot to win this game. And, and I agree with you. If if they win and UCF holds serve and takes care of business, uh, ESPN is going to have to take a very long look at this game as potentially a marquee. Uh, network primetime game yeah i agree uh i definitely agree with that and i think that's why i've seen some people like no we gotta root against cincinnati why like i disagree with that yeah why why like how does that benefit ucf by having cincinnati lose it doesn't like that doesn't yeah that's now you want you want to talk petty that's 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 petty right there the truth is you want your conference mates to win every non-conference game as possible. And you want Cincinnati to be as highly ranked as possible. One, you want that possibility of that marquee matchup that's going to get eyeballs. Two, you want the chance to topple the Giants. Uh, the higher ranked they are, the better it is for UCF if they can come away with the upset. Now, granted, UCF's got a handicap on them, new quarterback, new new you know a lot of injuries still still healing who knows what's going to be going on you know within a couple weeks but you want to have that upon to be as highly ranked as possible because you want to build the credibility of your own your own program in the eyes of the outside world i agree i gotta believe the quarterback situation at notre dame is probably partly the reason why cincinnati's favor jack cone we don't know i think his status they might go with the pine kid who came in relief in the wisconsin game I don't know, man. Notre Dame and underdog at home. Uh, that's that's interesting. But I'm going to be look, we're going to be monitoring that game because I do think that impacts UCF. And again, we might know on Monday the kickoff time and the network for the UCF Cincinnati game. And obviously the results from this Saturday will have a big influence on that. And I kind of took a peek at that schedule that day on the 16th. And I'm telling you, if Cincinnati wins this Saturday, they could be in play for college game day and they could be in play for an ABC primetime game or a 3.30 ABC time slot type of deal. Uh, if, if, again, emphasizing if Cincinnati wins against Notre Dame. We'll be monitoring that game. Uh, conference news, we were talking a lot about Navy and their struggles. There are reports out there from uh, multiple college football outlets, college uh, outlets. I think Brett McMurphy was the first to report this. There's reports that the American is targeted, is now uh, on the verge of perhaps getting Air Force in Colorado State. We might know something by next week, according to these reports. Uh, there were some reports that they went after Boise State and San Diego State and got rebuffed, but it looks like Colorado State and Air Force might be inclined to make the jump. Your reaction to that news from the American as they look to replace UCF, Houston, and, uh, and Cincinnati? Well, there, there's a few different camps you can look at at this. And it's funny. I was discussing it online with people, and apparently now I'm a Mike Oresco burner account. You mean you're not? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't you tell? I look just like him. <laughs> uh, I sound like him, too. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, 
So the, one of one of the camps here is okay. The American is losing three of their four best teams. They have been knocked down a number of slots as far as getting towards that that power six narrative that they wanted. If, if the teams were still there, they they could work their way up to that. But I mean that that's been absolutely just shredded so what do you do take out the competition knock them down too and that's what this is this is about yeah they wanted boise state and san diego state because they were the top two teams in that conference uh, but i san diego state it would be an island and boise state's holding out for the big 12 so i mean boise state tried to go to the american just a couple years ago and couldn't because they couldn't find anywhere else to land their other sports because it would be in football only so, you know, they, they tried to get together. It didn't work out, but all signs point to another round of expansion for the big 12 and Boise state's probably going to be one of those two nabbed in granted their other sports need work, but that football program just carries a lot of value. So at that point, go for depth uh, as, as you know, you know, and Boise state proved it in the WAC and they proved it in the mountain West. One team, a conference does not make. You can have a great one team in a conference, but it's not going to, your conference profile is not going to rise. You're just going to become an outlier to a, a mediocre conference. So you need to build depth. So, so take depth out. Colorado State and, and Air Force, their package pair. Uh, Air Force was, was invited to the American during the original expansion that brought UCF in. They said no out of a loyalty to what they, uh, basically the, the frontier schools of Wyoming, Colorado State, and New Mexico. So the fact that Colorado State's coming with is, I think, part of the package deal. And that also improves the American in the fact that now they have three time zones to put product. You know, the American may not make great money compared to the Big 12 or the ACC, but their exposure is fantastic. Uh, that, that was one area in the media deal that they, they did it right, is they have great exposure. And so now you've got three time zones worth of stuff. Uh, you have the ability to go American after dark with you know, a 10 o'clock game in, in you know, Colorado Springs. Uh, it works now. And so if, if they make the move, okay, you put them in the West, uh, you try and convince Navy to go to the East. I, they probably don't want to because uh, you're going to have uh, you're going to be working towards 12 teams. They've already said they want four. Uh, so you're going to be looking probably East for the other two. Uh, UAB is probably a lock. And then you have a battle between Marshall, Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Florida Atlantic. Take your pick. But no matter what. what Army, right? Like they and, could and just Army, get all right. the academies here and complete the set. You're right, an army on a football only, which actually wouldn't be bad for their Olympic sports because you'd still have, what, 11 Olympic sports against 12 football, and that would work. Uh, so it's all about destabilizing the, low, the other leagues to maintain yourself as the cream of the crop of the G5, which this helps do. Now, it's also perception versus reality. The perception is they're still going to be the cream of the crop of the G5. The reality is their on-field play may not be as good as a Fresno State, as a San Diego State, uh, because the assumption is Boise State and Memphis are probably going to end up in the Big 12, and, and those are the best two teams left out there. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think this is a good move, 
Although this, I mean, there's sometimes this, as you know, this could evolve. I mean, Colorado State has great facilities right now for football. And Fantastic facility. Yeah, and they're more on the upside. And I remember, remember, they used to be in that conversation for the Big 12, like way back, like five, six, seven years ago, about their facilities. You know, they just haven't found the right coach there. But if they get the right coach, I think they can win big in football over there. They've had pretty good basketball there. So I think sometimes people get, we get caught up in the moment and not thinking big picture. Uh, so that, that might be, I actually disagree with people that are critical of those moves and I could see them going after army because if you get army, Navy, air force, the one thing we know is they bring eyeballs, oh, they bring totally. eyeballs and that's a TV's a part of this stuff. So I would not be surprised if army ends up being in that mix, if they choose to, from a football only standpoint. And I think UAB, UAB is, I, I, I feel like that's the worst secret in the world. I'd be shocked if it wasn't UAB at this point. Oh, it'd be a travesty. Uh, yeah. No, no other program east of the Mississippi has uh, invested like they have. Uh, you know, they, Birmingham has rallied around UAB. I mean, when they when that program was unfortunately canned in a really uncool way, uh, the city rallied and, and you saw a support that you never saw before. Heck, they, they have a new stadium now. I mean, it's, it, you know, the Americans looking for investment. They're, they're looking for schools that are, are, are willing to pay money uh, for coaching, are willing, are having you know budgets that are of a certain range. They want, they don't want a project. They want schools that are ready to make the move. UAB has proven to be one of them. Obviously, the Western schools, Colorado State, Air Force, have had you know have a long history uh, of being able to do it. It's really that fourth school that becomes the big question mark of who it's going to be. And, and you're right. This is about eyeballs because there's going to be a renegotiation on that television deal. Um, you Cincinnati, UCF, you know, they, they were both teams that were part of that, that provision that would kickstart a renegotiation. Well, if you've got an army in air force, you've got the, the service academies and you're going to get those eyeballs that helps mitigate the damage of losing, you know, better football programs versus programs that bring eyeballs uh you know we're we we love ucf and all but come on we we don't hold a candle to army navy i mean it's not even close almost one of the most watched games, like one of the most watched games of the year and it's a standalone game that's a marquee game oh yeah and if you have that as an american conference game an american athletic conference game uh that that is a major profile booster now granted ESPN won't have control of that. But. Well, not well, not as of now, but if Army and Navy join the league, that probably in the future they will get that game. If, exactly, they they can they can work it out. Uh, yeah. you know, there, there's they can negotiate, they can make things work. So we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out uh, on that member. Well, if you're the Mike Oresco burner account, you're not going to like me later on. I criticize the league for some of their the uh, curious decision. And you know what? You're week. absolutely right to criticize. Uh, we'll uh, discuss. This, yeah. This, you're going to go on your on your rant, and, and I know I won't be a part <laughs> of it, but let me say your rant is spot on, and this is a loaded crock of BS. So, yeah, uh, if, if I'm an Oresco burner account, I'm doing a terrible job. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about uh, the conference decision to revoke uh, UCF from hosting the American Conference Championships in softball. What's behind that later on? Plus, big week, a must 
Big match for women's soccer this week. Bryson Turner will join us later to discuss that. But coming up, we're going to be joined by cross-country assistant coach Brian Jackson. UCF cross-country on the map, ranked. They're coming for their home debut. We'll talk to him about what does he think about? How does cross-country get affected by the move from the America to the Big 12 down the road? All that coming up as you're listening to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. Before we go, Drew, tell the audience where they can find you. Well, you can find me at Statboy Drew if you haven't blocked me yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he will be joining me on Night Shift after the UCF Navy game on our YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe to the banner, uh, banner ed there on the YouTube. Subscribe, like us there. We'll be on right after the Navy game. We'll break it down. What went right, what went wrong, and that much more. Thank you, Drew. Always a pleasure. Back after this with more. You're listening to the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Of course, UCF cross country off to a fantastic start, ranked 13th in the regional rankings. Will have their home season debut on Friday, October the 1st at 6:30, as they will be getting set uh, for their season. Of course, they got a young roster of tremendous talent, and in charge of that during the cross-country season, is the assistant coach, Brian Jackson, who works under head coach Dana Boone. But as I talked to Brian Jackson, we talked about his role with cross-country and the great start this season, including by a Fingnam freshman, who is picking up right where she left off in the spring when she was the freshman of the year in the American. Brian Jackson, UCF cross-country assistant coach, joins us. Here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Joining us now, he is the assistant coach of the UCF Cross Country and Track Team. Of course, he's in charge of when it comes to UCF long distance. Of course, UCF Cross Country ranked 13th in the South Region rankings. First time they've been ranked since September 19th, 2016. They get it, they're getting set for their home opener on October the 1st. We're speaking, of course, of assistant coach Brian Jackson joins us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Coach, how you doing? Good, good. How about yourself? Doing great. Uh, let's talk about that ranking, 13th. Uh, what was the reaction there? It's been a while since 2016. Was there any reaction at all from the program standpoint or the, uh, the players? What was that like? Yeah, I think the girls were excited to get some recognition. Um, but I think they have a good perspective on it. Like like I told them, like we don't get too caught up in the opinion of other coaches because that's what rankings are. They're just people's really opinions. Um, it's nice to get the recognition, but, you know, we got to stay focused on the growth that we need to continue to have throughout this year and, and letting the performances on the, on the course speak for themselves. When, what's been your thoughts so far? What have you learned about your team so far this year? Um, I've learned that they're, they're very driven, right? I, I kind of knew that coming in, but they're a driven group of women who um, put in a lot of work over the summer, came in prepared um, and ready um, for the season and then are, are working incredibly hard right now. Um, and I think what we've shown right now is still only the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to be capable of as we prepare for the championships in October and November. Well, you mentioned your roster is very young. You only have yeah. two uh, upperclassmen. They're juniors. They're both juniors. No yep. seniors. Everybody else is freshmen. <laughs> I mean, what is that like? I, 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 the young roster, but yet they're they're not they're performing like they're vets. It's uh, in case. Yeah, yeah. And some of it's misleading because I, I call them COVID freshmen. Like 
they were a lot of those freshmen were here last year with us. And so they got that benefit of, uh, um, being in the program last year, training, obviously the, the, the reduced cross country season that we did have in the winter months, um, didn't count against their eligibility. So they're all freshmen eligibility wise again this year. And so it looks, it looks like we have a ton of freshmen. Uh, we have eight, then we do, we have eight true freshmen. Um, so, but a lot of those young ladies like Allie and Valerie and Kenzie, um, they had the benefits of being in the program last year and, um, they're not technically freshmen, <laughs> but yeah, very young roster and uh, very excited about the future. It's a good problem to have. And of course you mentioned Valerie Lestra, of course, is the one who's been making headlines. She was the American conference freshman of the year. She just broke another school record in the 4k in their last race. She's broken mm-hmm. some records already. Just talk about her and what makes her so unique there. She's off to a tremendous start. Yeah. Valerie is, uh, Valerie is off to a great start to her career here at UCF. Um, has set a lot of records. And I think the, the biggest thing that kind of makes Valerie unique is just the, her approach she takes um, and how hard she's willing to push herself um, and how she's, she's just um, she's very disciplined in the training and doing all the little things, you know, and um, obviously a very talented young lady that when you couple her work ethic and attention to detail and the little things all together, it just makes for a special athlete. When you got, when you were recruiting her, did you? When did you kind of notice that she could be this good? Did you know at the time? I mean, what was that like as you were kind of looking at her? Yeah, I mean, Valerie, Valerie is a two-time Footlocker national qualifier, and in the world of cross country, the top forty women in the country make that meet, um, and so that's a that's a pretty prestigious meet to be to be invited to race at out in San Diego. Uh, and she made that meet. She qualified for that meet her junior year and senior year of high school. So it's it's pretty rare um, to be able to sign a two-time Footlocker finalist, a two-time high school All-American in cross country. And so I think and she wasn't under the radar by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it was definitely one of those um, one of those young ladies that a lot of people wanted, and we were just very fortunate that this was the uh, the right fit for her. You know. No doubt. Of course, you've got the veteran on the team, Charlotte Crook, uh, who's been reliable. Talk about her. Is she like one of the leaders on the on the team? Yeah, in, in a lot of ways. You know, she's she's really developed in that leadership role, too, and has come a long way since her freshman year um, in her leadership, in her in her tr- approach to training and in her approach to competition. Um, you know, I've just been really proud of the growth that she's had over the last, you know, this is her fourth year here. She actually has one more year of eligibility after this, but this is her senior year academically. Um, she's just grown a lot into the, into the young woman that she is today. And um, just really proud of, of, of what she's doing, not just from a performance standpoint, but also from kind of a big sister leadership standpoint on the team. Talk about the rest of the, the squad. Obviously, uh, Cambry Smith, Alexandra Del Rey had good starts uh, up in Gainesville there, good races. Uh, just talk about the rest of the roster and, and kind of what you expect here the rest of the way. Yeah, we, we have a lot of talented young ladies in the roster. And if I if I start listing them off and, and talking about them, I'm going to leave somebody out, right? But all of those young ladies are um, just training incredibly hard right now. And I think what, what makes our – what makes this team get so fun this year is the fact that like it, every, any week we can have a different top five or top seven. There's so much depth on this roster um, that, you know, it, it really pushes them all to, to, to be better and better 
week in and week out. And so, you know, Allie's doing a phenomenal job. She's in a great place right now. Cambry Smith, you know, coming out of high school and she's a true freshman for us is really kind of, um, you know, popped onto the scene here and, 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 and done a really nice job. But then you got I- Isabel Babylonia, um, Lillian Holtry, all these true freshmen that we really expect big things from as we finish out this cross country season. And I think, you know, they're, they're, they're in a good place and it's going to be fun to see how we, uh, we progress. I wondered, obviously, Renaya Jones had an incredible track and field year uh, yeah. in the NCAA championships. Try, you're trying to qualify for the Olympics. It was just an incredible freshman year. I'm curious if you think her success in that year that she had a few months ago, does that inspire some of your cross-country athletes to say, we could be that, we can kind of break out and make a name for ourselves here in the cross-country uh, level? Yeah, absolutely. I think it inspires across the entire track and field team. Every group on the track and field team, I think is looked at that and like, okay, you know, now who's next? Like, who's going to do that next? Like, um, and they're all very driven and working incredibly hard. So I can speak specifically for my group and the distance group, but they're definitely, they're definitely a driven bunch. Um, and I think anyone that spends some time with them, shoot, I messed up. Anyone who spent some time with them would know that, uh, you know, they're, they're a special group of women who, uh, who really want big things in, and not just their athletics, but their academics as well. I think I will always, I always want to mention, I always want to give them credit. They were the highest team GPA in the, in the athletic department last year. And so uh, I can't, I can't go in an interview without giving them uh, a shout out for that. Cause I was very proud of that. What has it been like? You had to do a, you know, track season and cross country season all within this calendar year. Uh, it's unusual. You, you, know, you didn't have it last fall. You had to have it in early in 2021. What has that been like? And has that been something that you have to monitor? Is that been a, have you seen any effects of that? What, what's it been? What has it been like? It, it was spring 2021 was wild. You know, we had winter cross country. We still had some indoor racing going on during those months. And then we went right into outdoor season. I think you definitely saw some effects on that. Like, I think it definitely affected some of the young ladies come at the end of outdoor season where they just probably had just had too many races on their legs and too tight of a period of time. Um, especially for the younger ones, the freshmen. Um, you know, I think, I think, but then when you give them some time off in the summer, I don't think we're seeing any more effect on that now. Um, I think we, we did a really good job of giving them a break after that year, understanding that that was a big couple months for them from January to May. Um, and I think now they've gotten recovered and, and they're in a good place to have a normal year. <laughs> yeah, a normal year. Uh, it, 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 D, let's talk about you. Obviously, you are in charge of the long uh, the distance. Uh, just for those that may not be familiar with that, just explain the dynamics with you. And obviously, because head coach Data Boone runs the whole program, but you're in charge of the distance in particular in the cross country. Just kind of explain the dynamics. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously coach Boone is the, is the head coach of cross country and track and field. And, you know, she's hired me to be one of her assistant coaches. And my role from a coaching standpoint is to coach the cross country team. Um, and then come track season responsible for really everything from the 800 meter race all the way up through 10,000 meters. Um, and so I, I specifically coach those distance athletes and endurance athletes. When you're recruiting for a distance athlete, what are some of the things you look for? What are some of the qualities you look for? Obviously what somebody runs it very well, but there's more to that, right? Yeah. I mean, you're looking for, I mean, our sport really takes a lot of discipline, attention to detail, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes patience. 
Um, but it takes consistency and training. So you're looking for somebody who obviously has the talent um, to run those distance races, but you're also looking for young ladies that just kind of pursue excellence in all areas of life. You know, I always, I always evaluate their academics because I feel like if they're going to, if they want to be great in one thing, they'll be, they'll be driven to be great in everything, you know? And so, um, you know, I look for those young ladies that are great students um, and then just great people. You know, we want, we want to be, we want to be great people. And we talk a lot about this year about, you know, not only how we're going to do things, but also how we're going to treat people and how we're going to treat each other. And the focus of this year is really like the how, how we're going to compete, how we're going to train and how we're going to treat each other and just always being, being great teammates and great people. Makes Coach Boone so good and successful there. Obviously, she's had success where she's been, and she's obviously having success right now turning this program around. What What is it about her as working for her that makes her uh, as good as she is? You know, I think from from an assistant coach standpoint, it's it's kind of – I think what, what really sets her apart is that, you know, she hires people she can trust and she believes in, and then she empowers them to go do their job. You know, and and she she's not a head coach that micromanages. She she really she really empowers you to kind of do your job, and, and you know she gives you your role and and go run with it. You know, and she's always there for support, um, but she's not necessarily someone there that's gonna gonna always be looking over your shoulder, double checking your work kind of thing. You know, and um, from I think from the athlete standpoint, it's it's the relationships that she builds starting from the recruiting process on, you know, that um, there's very few people that I know that can walk into a house on, on an in-home visit and come out, you know, having already developed the type of relationship she's already developed with those prospects and recruits. And I think that's what gets the girls interested. And then when they get here, um, you know, I think UCF closes the deal. And then the, those relationships that she continues to foster with the athletes along the way. And, of course, she came from Texas Tech, which is uh, amusing because now, obviously, the latest news at UCF, they're going to be moving to the Big 12. Have you asked her about any advice of where do we're going to eat when we go to the Big 12? Uh, what's been the reaction from cross-country? Because, you know, obviously a lot of the attention is on, like, football and the effects on that, but this affects all sports, and I'm fascinated yep. your thoughts on how it affects from a cross-country standpoint and track and field for that matter. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really – dove into where we're going to eat when we go to Lubbock too much yet. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure she'll have some great places to eat because we always find the great spots to eat, the barbecue spots specifically to eat when we're on oh. the road. So I'm sure, I'm sure she'll uh, guide us in the right direction when we get out to Lubbock. Um, but yeah, I think right now we're really focused on this year and we're still in the American and we have some championships that we want to win this year. And we want some championships we want to win before we leave this conference. And so I think we're all really excited about the, the going to the Big 12 and what that has in store. I don't think any of us really know for certain what year we're going to be entering definitively yet. So I think for now we're, we're excited and we're, we're, we're looking at what our approach is going to be from a recruiting standpoint. But we're really staying in the moment and really want to finish the job we have at hand right now. Well, especially, the, I mean, you're going, for, you have one, you're currently in a strong league and you're in another strong league. So for you, it's not as big of a jump. I mean, you got SMUs, Tulsa, Houston, they're all ranked yeah. in the South Central. Everybody knows about yeah. Houston. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the league this year? I mean, you mentioned Lakeland this year will be the host for the American Conference Championship. Yeah. What's kind of the outlook as far as this league? This league is tough. It, it, absolutely, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really top heavy and it doesn't get, you know, and so I think I was talking, it's going to be one of those years that the difference between second and fifth 
won't be very much, you know, and, and maybe second and sixth won't be even that much. And it's going to come down to those, those one or two spots and, and making sure that for, if we're going to be that team that comes out on top of those battles, that we're picking up those final points in the last K of the race. We're not the team that's kind of like coming off the race at the end. We're the team kind of moving forward at the end and picking up those extra points. And so, you know, I think it, it, it's going to, it's going to be very, very close. Um, and, and, you know, you just never know what's going to happen, but that's what makes the league fun. You know, you could, you know, it's super competitive up front. Is that something that you think you're having that experience as weird as it was in the winter spring, the cross country season to have it? Cause you know, there was no guarantees it was going to happen to have yeah. that experience and learning from that. Is that yeah. something you think that will benefit here in the comfort oh. once you get to Lakeland that they know what to expect? If you have one bad, you know, one bad day, that yeah. could be the difference. That's the difference. That's the difference. Our sport, cross country and track and field, like our championship is decided on one day or track or track one weekend. And so it's, it doesn't matter what you did all season, you know, it matters what you do on that day. And so, um, that experience that like Val and Allie and Mackenzie, those young ladies that were freshmen last year, the fact that they got to race in an American conference championship and it didn't count against them. They still have four more conference championships they can run in whatever conference that's going to be, um, is unprecedented value, right? Most of the time when you redshirt a season, you don't get to go to the conference championship and compete. So you don't get that experience. Um, but they got that experience. It's kind of like free experience we talk about. And so, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna pay off huge that they're freshmen, but they're freshmen with experience, you know? And so. Does it also change the way you coach, you know, whereas maybe if they're kind of new, they're, they don't have the experience, you have to be more patient with them or you kind of sing or you kind of coach them the same way, regardless of how much experience they have. Uh, no, you definitely, you definitely can kind of, you, you definitely know how to coach them a little bit better. Right. When you, yeah. when you've, when you've had someone in the program for a year, you really have a good understanding of like when to push them, when to kind of hold back and, 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 and let them recover and kind of, you have a really good understanding of, of them as a young lady. Everybody's so different. Every person's different. Um, and so when it's a true freshman, you're just kind of trying to figure them out a little bit early on in the year. Um, but you definitely, it's definitely easier. Like I know how to push Valerie now. I know how to push Alex. You know, obviously Charlotte and the other upperclassmen have coached for a couple of years. So we got a good understanding of, of what it takes for those girls to run fast. You'll be hosting the UCF invite October the 1st, uh, 645 scheduled start time. I know you're preparing for that. And then you've got the FSU pre-nationals and then the conference championships. What do you want to see from your team here in the coming weeks? What are some of the keys here to, to have the continue the success you've started with and, and even get better? Um, I think the, the, the one key for us is going to be to continue to run with a level of cohesiveness and togetherness. I think that's, that's been really what's helped us so far is, you know, the packs of, of runners that we're running with, you know, I think sometimes when you get all strung out into a cross country race and you had everybody kind of isolated by themselves in the race, um, you know, it, it, it's easy to struggle if it gets hard, you know, but when you have that teammate next to you um, and you're pushing each other and you're chasing down the next girl and the next girl, and you're really moving up through the race together, it, it adds uh, um, an extra level of motivation kind of race for not just yourself, but for your team. One thing I really want us to see is, is as we get into bigger and bigger races, the home meet, and we go up to pre-nats up at Florida State, um, I want to see us not lose that cohesiveness that we're racing with right now. 
Well, Coach, uh, we're excited for the great start, 13th ranked in the South Region rankings. We look forward to seeing you coming back, hosting on October the 1st. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's a busy time, but uh, congrats so far on the success, and good luck the rest of the way, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yep, I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks again to Coach Jackson for joining us, and uh, thanks to Megan Herboth for setting that up. Once again, UCF Cross Country home meet season debut at home home opener on Friday, October the 1st, uh, 6.30. Check out UCFnights.com for all the details. Of course, UCF coming off strong performances up in Gainesville on September the 11th, and of course in Boca where the season started. And Valerie Lastra, certainly a big-time star, and uh, it was great to talk to Coach Jackson about their season as well as the Big 12, move to the Big 12. So... Very good. All right, when we come back, Bryson Turner will join us. We'll talk about the Olympic sports, a big week for UCF women's soccer. Uh, We'll break down on volleyball. And why is the American Conference being petty with this move of uh, they did this past week? We'll break all that down as you're listening to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here with you. Now joining me is our good friend Bryson Turner from the Banneret, who's been writing Nightcap uh, every uh, on a weekly basis, and of course had a great feature right now. You can read on Black and Gold Banneret on Anne Marie Watson. Uh, Bryson, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh- Thank you. Thank you to everybody that's read and loved the Anne Marie Watson article. Uh, I appreciate it very much. I, me and er, me and Eric, because Eric interviewed Anne Marie for this story. Uh, we're, we were both we both planned this out for a while and we're very excited to see what more Know Your Nights we will be able to bring in the future. Well, let's actually start with volleyball. We'll start that way. We could talk more about Anne Marie Watson. For those that haven't had a chance to read, just kind of give us a, a tease of what they can expect on this feature uh, on Amory Watson, who's off to a great start this season. He's had a great career at UCF and a local kid. Yes, indeed, Eric. So basically this, basically my, the, the feature is t- uh, tells the tale of, of Amory Watson, of where, she ca- of where she came from, how she played in the shadow of UCF's campus, just five minutes down the road at Haggerty High School and how she has, she picked up softball very or the volleyball very quickly she played youth softball up until high school and didn't play volleyball until her freshman year of high school and how she's grown into what i would honestly call one of the better ucf volleyball players of all time so we strongly recommend you to read that article uh you'll hear comments from uh, coach dagenet her high school coach at haggerty used to be a former ucf assistant her current ucf uh, teammates it's a really cool feature on Amory, and of course we had her on the podcast on last week we encourage you to listen to that and actually you could watch that interview on our youtube page make sure you subscribe and like on our youtube page there at black and gold better the good news is we're good luck ucf swept east carolina and cincinnati last weekend three nothing no surprises there quite frankly those two teams are not very good uh and as a result ucf dropped in the rpi because of that and they're like 19. this weekend bryson they will be on the road at wichita state on friday night and then at tulsa this is usually from a uh, travel standpoint, one of the more difficult trips to do because it's not so simple to get to Wichita, Kansas, and then Tulsa, Oklahoma. But Wichita State usually has great tradition in volleyball. Their RPI, I believe, is in the 50s. And this will be a challenge for UCF because with the way the American is set up right now in volleyball, they can't afford to have slip-ups here 
uh, because your number, your resume will drop. Now, I think they're in good shape, but if they're if their goal and they do have a chance to do this, and that is host a regional like they did in 2018, they're going to basically come have to come close to running the table in the league to do that. Because if not, they're if they drop a, let's say three to four matches, their RPI will drop. And that's why these matches are critical. There's not that big room for air like you have in other leagues. Yes, indeed. Uh, you, by the way, you said Wichita State was in the 50s in the RPI. I have the number, the exact number. It's 56. There you go. And and to note, the the, hot, the four highest ranked American teams in RPI in volleyball, UCF 19, Houston, Houston is 48. We, said, we just said Wichita State was 56. And SMU is 64. So if so, if what if you want to watch volleyball and, and anyone that you know, we definitely want to pay attention to. It would be Houston, Wichita, and S and SMU. So yeah, I would say if and if UCF has any trouble with anybody in the American, then it would be it would be these three feet. And Houston will be uh, coming to UCF on October the eighth. Of course, they play each other twice, home and home. Uh, there so we'll have to monitor that because again UCF right now you want to be usually in the top 16 in that RPI to have a chance to host Uh, and this is a good year for UCF to possibly host Florida's in the 40s Florida State uh, is in the 30s so uh, but it's early in volleyball and again I think the Wichita State one I'm very interested to seeing how that plays out Tulsa's not very good uh, this year, but Wichita State is, and I think that's a tr- true challenge on the road. This could be like if I circled the schedule, what are the matches that UCF volleyball could lose? Wichita State would at Wichita State would be at the top of the list, right up there. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how that match goes. That's an eight o'clock Friday night against Wichita State, then Tulsa Sunday at two Eastern. There now, no UCF team has more pressure, uh, Bryson, than women's soccer, who. While they're off to a very good start overall scheduling-wise, and RPI is very good, they're at 28, they've kind of dug themselves a hole in league play. They're 0-2 in conference play, coming off the loss to Memphis, 2-1. And they get set now to go up at SMU, who is not easier. They have a high RPI as well. This is the next two matches here, Bryson, for UCF women's soccer is critical. At SMU, and then they host South Florida. Those are your last two opportunities here. That, to me, it's a must-get results for UCF here in the next two matches. If they were to drop these two matches, they might be in jeopardy of missing the conference tournament. And if they miss the conference tournament, I don't see the committee putting them in in the NCAA, despite even if they have a decent RPI. Their RPI right now is 28. This is a big match at SMU against a very good SMU team. Oh, yes, definitely. And the thing is, is that I am not 100% sure that that UCF will come out of come out of Dallas with the win and this is why looking back at the Houston and Memphis game because as a lot of people might have been thinking with how we did when the out of conference schedule I was just wondering what's going on in conference like what's going on so I took a look at, at both games and I took a look at the American athletic stats and I took and I noticed that at Memphis and Houston actually are, are two of the top three least goals allowed all season. USF and UCF are both tied for fourth at, at 10 goals allowed. Memphis is in second at fifth. 
and Houston is third at seven. And when you look at the Houston and Memphis games, you look what happened. Both games were won by one goal, and both Memphis and 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 both Memphis and Houston were able to limit the UCF offense. If you look uh, in both instances, uh, Houston and UCF both scored, both had just half of the shots that or half of the shots that um, Memphis and Houston attempted. So either the UCF offense is going to really need to break through these defenses or the UCF defense needs to be able to limit the amount of times their, their opponent offense can break through because Caroline Delisle has been given an absolute workout over the course of these last two games. You're right. They've been constantly playing on their heels in these type big matches at times recently. SMU is ranked in the top 25. They're ranked 14th in the polls. They're ranked 13th in the RPI. This is a monster match for UCF, who's I mentioned 28 in the RPI. South Florida is 32 in the RPI. Memphis is 40 in the RPI. And then after this down the stretch, UCF's not going to have marquee games. So this is a big two matches here. If you get some results here, then I think they remain on track to make the NCAA tournament. If they don't, if they drop this match and go 0-3 going into South Florida, they could be in some big trouble. This is a big, big, big match oh, against SMU. By the way, do, yeah. do you know who's ranked first for least goals allowed this season? Go ahead. SMU. Very good defensive so, team, yeah. And and they are coming off of five straight shutouts. They have not allowed a goal since September 6th. Mm. So it is, so this is, I would say that if the last two games were tough, this is going to be really tough, which is why I think that, that you, that if we're thinking realistically, I'm thinking that US, the U, that USF match is going to end up being that must win, both in terms of rebounding from the 0-3 conference struggle and because US, USF is ranked number 32 in RPI right behind USF. And we're and they're tied in the least goals allowed. So it's a very it looks like a very even match, even match game at home. So while I would so while I would say it would be great to go to Dallas and defeat SMU, uh, if that ends up going not going UCF's way, which it very well might, then that's going to put a lot of pressure on that USF game. And they need a good result. Their best win is Penn State. You know, Texas, who UCF beat earlier in the year, currently is ranked 70 in the RPI. That's not good enough. The old Miss is pretty good, but, uh, you know, we'll see. They got they got some good wins non-conference. Old Miss and Penn State right now probably is the lead the way. Uh, but can they set it up there where they could get some results conference-wise? They have to get some conference results. There's just – you cannot struggle in conference. It reminds me of Donnie Jones' his first year at UCF. They had a great non-conference and struggled in the conference play. It didn't make the NCAA tournament – as a result of that, and I feel like this is could be a, a dangerous situation similar, but we'll see. Uh, long ways to go. But they did, the, the, clearly the conference schedule was front-loaded. Uh, that didn't help, and uh, we'll see. At SMU, 8 o'clock Thursday night, ESPN Plus, big match against SMU. Now, obviously, men's soccer going on. They got a busy week. Depending on when you hear this, they would have played South Florida on Wednesday night in Tampa, my good shout out to my good friend Ryan Urquhart. He's calling the match or called the match, depending on when you listen to this. Ah, uh, there on Sunday, men's soccer will host Memphis at six o'clock. This is the second meeting in a few weeks that UCF men's soccer would have had with Memphis. They beat Memphis in Memphis to start conference play four to one. And obviously, 
uh, USF match with, without standing. We'll put that to a side, uh, Bryson. Their offense has been clicking here over the last few matches. Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, with all, all just just in the last match, we really kind of got a who's who of the of the UCF offense. Dino Vivi was was assisted on two goals. Alessandro Compoy got his first goal that wasn't in his four goal game. Uh, Luca Dorado got another goal with an assist from Nick Taylor, who is one of the nation's leaders in that category. And Nick Taylor even got a goal for himself. So how how about that? So, yes, I would say that the UCF offense has been its biggest strength. And now that Tyler Levine has come in and, and managed to get and get and managed to get some saves in there. I think that this right now, UCF men's soccer is definitely clicking at the clicking at the right time. No doubt about it. Uh, I agree. And I think uh, we'll see how this uh, will play out this week. Kind of tricky with two matches in a short period of time. Uh, so we'll see how they handle that. Uh, from that standpoint. So that's the story on men's soccer uh, there. Where are some of the other sports and storylines going on in UCF athletics people may not be aware of? Well, uh, one thing that we didn't mention from from volleyball is that Claudia Dillon actually got six of the of the 11 aces in the in the Cincinnati match, which is the most aces some uh, a UCF volleyball player has scored since earlier this year when Tali Marmon hit, had her eight ace game. But it's the first time that a UCF volleyball player had exactly six aces in a single match since Kelly Weaver on September 7th, 2007. So that was a very so that was a very nice history history book moment right there. We also have some news from from one of our alumni, uh, Kristen Thomas, who was on the Team USA Rugby Sevens team, is going to be competing in a brand new professional rugby sevens league that has been sanctioned by USA Rugby as the highest level of the of competition in the U.S. for rugby sevens. So that. The league is going to be starting on October 9th with a, with a one-day tournament. And Kristen Thomas's team has just been revealed. Uh, she is on a team that's called the Headliners, and she will be playing at 10.50 a.m., uh, 12.55 p.m., and 2.40 p.m. on October 9th. And you'll be able to follow the tournament the whole day on Fox Sports 2 and wherever you can stream uh, Fox Sports. So I'm very, ex- I'm, I'm very excited for that. Uh, while I w- while I was sleep deprived, I was also very excited watching Kristen Thomas pl- Kristen Thomas and the Team USA Rugby Sevens team. So to get a chance to see this new league in action and here in, here in the U.S. and also and where I can actually watch and not have to stay stay up until two in the morning or something that is that that certainly is great. Uh, breaking news out of women's tennis. We they brought just brought in two international players today, uh, Noel Sidanova from Russia and Sofia Biolay from France. They also just opened their they opened their fall season in NC State. Uh, Valeria Zaleva was the highlight, going three and two. And then also uh, we all and then also the number eight ranked uh, individual in women's tennis, Natalie Sabash was upset by uh, by our by our Vegina Levashova. So those are some highlights from there. And then of course women's golf just finished in the top five in their most re- in their most recent tournament. I believe it is their second of this of the season. Fall season. Should be uh, very good. Very good stuff there. A uh, couple more items here before we sign off, Bryson. Women's basketball. We actually forgot to mention this last week. Shame on us. Uh, they announced their non-conference schedule 
for this upcoming season, sir, and you and I are pretty fired up. UCF will get to host Tennessee, the Lady Vols, November 12th. That's a big deal. That is as marquee as you get. One of the great brands in women's basketball. Uh, Props to Coach Abe and company who have scheduled an absolutely brutal non-conference schedule. They they do not duck anybody uh, from their standpoint. They're going to open the season at home against Duquesne on November 9th. The big one Friday, November 12th. Tennessee, then November 17th, they go to Virginia. Remember, that's a return trip from last year when UCF opened the season against Virginia and blew them out. They host Belmont. Belmont's very good. They've dominated the Ohio Valley. Uh, This will be, by the way, the last year for Belmont in the Ohio Valley. They just announced this week they're going to Missouri Valley because everybody's moving in conference play right now. Uh, Then they will go to Cancun to play USC and Idaho State. USC, another brand in women's basketball. They will host Arkansas, which is an NCAA tournament team, on December 2nd. They will play at Mercer, at Seton Hall, at Iowa. Iowa has one of the top players in the country. That's a big matchup, December 18th. Iowa was a Sweet 16 team last year in the tournament, and then they're at Princeton. A challenging schedule for Coach Abe there, Bryson, but wow, we're going to get Tennessee's going to be on the court here at UCF. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, look, they may not be a team led by Pat Summit anymore, but if col- but if college sport has taught us anything, programs can stay story even when even when the, one of the main people that contributed to it left. And I love the fact that we're going to get a great college football program like Tennessee here at UCF. It's a great college women's basketball program. The, I mean, them in Connecticut is the standard. Oh, yes, for sure. And so considering that we, you know, the, the, the UConn left the American and leaving, they and left, took their women's basketball program with them. It's great that to be the, that our, that this program is going to be able to schedule, schedule people like Tennessee for things like this. Um, however, one thing I do want to mention, obviously, Iowa is a is going to be a tough match, especially on the road. But looking at this, I'm I'm seeing that. We're going to be having Mercer, go, going to Mercer on December 12th, going to Seton Hall on December 14th, and then Iowa on December 18th. That means in the span of one week, UCF women's basketball is going to be having a three, three away games against non-conference opponents. I would say that that is definitely a time of the season to watch for them. Because that has to be, that's going to have to be tough to go to go to three away games in the span of a week, concluding with a Sweet 16 team like Iowa. Caitlin Clark is the name to keep in mind for Iowa. She's one of the, she's going to be a Player of the Year candidate in women's basketball. Uh, she's a stud. I mean, uh, it's her and the UConn kid. They're they're the top two players. Bunchins. Uh, she's loaded. Uh, she could play. She's going to play the next level in the WNBA. So that's the name to watch. That's the, you know, but it's a challenging schedule. Unbelievable for Coach Abe. I mean, props uh, on that. The conference tournament in women's basketball will be in Fort Worth once again. One place that UCF was supposed to host was the American Softball Championships. However, however, ah, pettiness, Bryson. Pettiness exists in our world, ladies and gentlemen. The American Conference has decided this earlier this week to relocate three of the conference championships they were going to hold this season here in the spring. Uh, And what do you know? What a coincidence. Who was involved in it? 
UCF hosting the softball championships has now been moved to East Carolina. Track and field, which was supposed to be hosted by Houston. And swimming, which was supposed to be hosted by Houston. All of that has been moved. The track and field has been moved to Wichita State. Now, what, what, what would, would you, why would they do that? Huh? Well, the conference tweeted out the decision to relocate three 2022 championships was in accordance with the longstanding conference bylaws that were agreed upon by all members nothing more all schools yeah nothing more sure all schools remain eligible to host any championships that are determined by regular season standings Leroy Burrell an icon track coach obviously at Houston and a gold medal you know Olympian to use a tweeted out i was informed by email that the american conference ad's and senior women administrators voted to strip the 2022 conference meet from houston i can't believe that some quote professionals would make such a decision this only hurt student athletes of the host institution and it's just petty i'll go a step further leroy not only it's petty it's stupid (laughs) um so here's my question where was the votes on this when UConn, who was kicking and screaming to get out of the league, they didn't strip them of hosting the women's basketball championships at the Mohican Sun? Why was that? Oh, because they didn't want to, they were too afraid of Gino? It's ridiculous. Uh, I do think part of this was, I think, flared up because of what Cincinnati and the stunt they pulled a few weeks ago where they had the Big 12 flag, which was, a, you know, that's, a, that's not cool i i did not agree with that cincinnati putting a big 12 flag the day after that was announced they were moving to the big 12 in a couple of years but here's the stupid thing why are you doing this now there's the ucf in houston as far as we know as of now is likely going to still be in this in the american this year and next year so you're looking at two seasons now if you would have made this decision let's say in the summer and you would say you know what next year UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, they cannot host any tournaments. Okay, I get it. But to pull this stunt when it's already been decided, and I don't think people realize this from a softball standpoint, usually when the softball host is hosting the tournament, they are on the road the weekend before that. That's usually the kind of the rule in the scheduling. So I will give you this little quiz here, Bryson, in our audience. Without me and myself getting in trouble, I can UCF is scheduled to play on the road in softball this year at USF, at Houston, at Wichita State. Let's just say that UCF has the longest trip of those three prior to the conference tournament. I'll leave it as that. You can figure it out in your own head. So now they got to go on the road. It, a lengthy trip, we'll just say, of those three. I mean, let's just say a car ride is, does not qualify as a long drive, a long trip. They got to come back from that trip back to Orlando, and now they got to go to Greenville. They have been put in a significant disadvantage by this. I think this is petty, and it's silly because you're hurting the student athletes. And the thing that bothers me, and Leroy Burrell made the point of this, this was decided by administrators and ADs, not by coaches, not by players. If coaches in the league would have said, hey, get this out of here and things like that, I would be one thing. But by administrators who, who are empty suits, who don't play, who have no, don't know what it's like to step on the field in most cases, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I would say that um, I'm not really as mad, I would say, as you. I'm more of the, of the of mind that I'm just more, I guess, 
conducive in a way like and let me explain what i mean so obviously the americans said that this that these moves were done according to their bylaws right well me and i believe Andrew, and, and our fellow banner colleague andrew glukov tried to look tried to look at those bylaws to see which ones that maybe it might be and we go and look and we don't really find anything like the last conference manual that i think is on the website was i think from 2019 so it's so it's like if you're gonna say it's for, from the bylaws then make your bylaws available so at least we can make some guesses on that the problem is they can't because this is basically in a reaction to them leaving in the league that's all this is and they don't want to say it uh, and it's just disappointing because i can tell you forget softball obviously i'm biased towards softball and all that forget the fact that if you look at the best destinations for hosting is Orlando, Tampa, Houston. Nobody really brags about going to Greenville with all due respect. Track and field. If you ask any track athlete, the number one spot is Houston. I've told, talked to people that more know more about track than I do. Houston is one of the top surfaces right now to participate in track and field. Not to mention, obviously, the legacy that that program has with Carl Lewis, Leroy Burrell. You're hurting the student athletes. Trust me. If you ask the student athlete, they'd rather be in Houston than Wichita. I'm sorry. And by the way, for all you administrators, if you got the invite to go to the Big 12, you would have jumped too. Petty. Just petty and disappointing. The Americans not the only ones that do this, by the way, in fairness. Any other league does the same stuff. And this is the nonsense that we have right now in college athletics. We have a bunch of petty people running it. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say about it because I'm going to get more fired up and angry. And I, you know, I, I was actually in a good mood until now. So <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, do you want me to go ahead and give you a little, a little bit of a teeny dose of good news? I could use one. Yes. All right. So I forgot to mention this back when it, back when men's golf was uh, back and talking about women's golf, but freshman Zoe Allo hit the lowest round of the, of the tournament women's golf participated in this week at the Bryan national collegiate, I believe it was. And she tied that round tied for the lowest 18-hole score in UCF women's golf history. So congratulations to Zoe Allo for that. Congrats indeed on that. All right, that's going to wrap it up here on this episode. But reminder, we're going to be on night shift following the UCF Navy football game on Saturday on our YouTube page. Subscribe there. Plus, if you subscribe there, look for some interviews here in the next week. We're going to be I have an interview with two of the UCF Hall of Famers. The Hall of Fame ceremony, Friday, October the 8th. Uh, will be coming up this weekend, uh, next weekend, I should say. Natalie Land, UCF Softball, I interviewed her. That'll be up on our YouTube page, as well as Afia Charles will be on our YouTube page. We're going to write articles about those two with some quotes next week on blackandgobanneret.com. And then uh, me and Bryson might even do a either a special podcast or a, maybe a night shift edition of the Hall of Fame uh, for UCF. So that'll be some of the content to look for next week as well. And of course, Bryson, you're gonna be following all the UCF Olympic sports. You're gonna be ready for the nightcap next week. Where they can find you? You can find me at, at it's Bryson Turner on Twitter. I'm very excited for everything in store for nightcap this week, especially with everything going on with women's soccer with this being a key time for them. And, and we're gonna get the return of cross country who's gonna be hosting the UCF invite on October the 1st. I believe this is also the first time we're going to be seeing Lastra since she broke the 4K record. Right. Yeah, so, it's our home opener. We, we talked to Coach Jackson earlier on the show about that, no doubt. Uh, you can also watch that interview, by the way, uh, on our YouTube page. In fact, uh, in, in, in more uh, unedited version, where we I talked to him about what got him into coaching and how he met uh, cross paths with Dana Boone. 
who's obviously the head coach at UCF. So look for that on our YouTube page as well as well as subscribing there. And of course, look for Bryson. He'll be tweeting about some of these matches and uh, obviously writing about it on our site on the nightcap as well. You can follow us on Twitter at, of course, at UCF underscore banner rent. All right. For Drew Glucott, for Bryson Turner, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.